Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Lozen. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Here's what satisfied me today. Halloween costumes, because Halloween this year, (laughs) not satisfying, not very much at all. But the costumes, I, Andy, am super satisfied that our executive producer on Fantasy Football Live, Dan Harris, decided to go through with another season of Halloween-themed costumes for the show. Are you feeling excited? Any tease about your costume? Hell yeah. Um, It's funny you would say that. The components of my costume just arrived today. Um, So I'm pretty, it's it's only a two-piece costume. Like there's not a lot to it, but I think it does the job. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. I am excited about it too. I'm thinking mine came this morning as well. There are three components to my costume, but I'm also, I have like my work costume and then I am (laughs) more anxious than satisfied (laughs) for my family costume because because like the kids don't have Halloween really this year or trick-or-treating like I have somehow tried to overcompensate for the lack <laughs> and I was like let's do a family costume in our backyard with a pinata Ooh! oh hell and, yeah <laughs> so the family costume I will disclose that now I, I don't know how my kids convinced me to, you know me like you actually know me we I've known you before <laughs> I had kids and before I worked at Yahoo and like, this is not a me. This is just evidence of how, what a martyr I am. Basically. <laughs> uh, we are going as Pokemon. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yep. Wow. My son is Ash Ketchum. Uh, my little three-year-old is Pikachu, which is so cute. And, um, so cute that I'm like, do I need a no? I don't. Um, I need a dog is what I need. And then my husband and I are going as Team Rocket. Okay, I got like, I gotta say, I, I won't recognize very many Pokemons. Like I, we could play a game of like Ikea brand or Pokemon and I, I wouldn't really know. But the, this seems amazing. And I very much look forward to the to the photos. We're, we're a huge pinata family, by the way, like I'll do a pinata for a, almost no reason at all. So I love that. You are satisfied by piñatas. This is good to know. Deeply, yes, absolutely. I'm going to tab that for a week where I'm uh, (laughs) satisfied. (laughs) All right, let's get to the matchups because I'm sure everyone's tired of our jabbering. Let's talk about what should be a deeply satisfying matchup, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. I hate to break this to you, Andy, (laughs) but that whole Mark Ingram take at the top of the season, well, it hasn't been working out, but if you're looking for a silver lining... He missed practice this Wednesday with an ankle sprain. That's not actually the silver lining. The silver lining comes in that there is one less piece of this multi-headed hydra in the Ravens' backfield now. Yeah, it's the only thing that might save it. I've I've heard some, I've seen some excitement about J.K. Dobbins on Twitter. Unfortunately, Gus Edwards doesn't go away. They love Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is definitely going to get the ball. And it's a it's a killer matchup, right? It's it's just a, a brutal matchup. Um, Pittsburgh is second against the run on the season. Uh, really hard, really, really tough sledding against that team. Uh, but I'm but I'm anxious to see what it looks like, because Edwards Edwards handled 14 carries uh, after Ingram checked out prior to the bye. So that's like that's a that's a high watermark for any Ravens running back all season. 14 carries. That's as that's as much as anybody gets. So brutal matchup. But at least winnowing this down to two is going to help somewhat. And it's worth mentioning that two of those 14 attempts that um, Gus Edwards managed were red zone carries and he scored. So 
the problem, obviously, with the J.K. Dobbins hype, which I'm it's kind of on board for as much as we can be, especially as you n- said, noting the the matchup and the number of bodies in this backfield. Um, they like Gus Edwards near the goal line, and that's you know. Gus Edwards has also been such a such a tell when he's on the field. And it doesn't it doesn't really matter because they're a great running team, but they never, ever throw to him. Like, I think he has three targets on the season and no catches, Um, barely caught a thing last year. Generally speaking, if he's on the field, it's he's getting the ball about 50 percent of the time. And it's it's almost, you know, like it's it's definitely a tell, but it works because they are just bulldozers on the offensive line. But this is a it's a brutal matchup. It's another funny thing about this game is that. Baltimore has spent almost no time this season in close games in the second half, right? Um, Jim Sonis mm. of Numberfire had a had a really good stat today uh, on on Twitter. He's a good follow about the the teams that had spent the the fewest snaps on the season in the second half of games with the score within two touchdowns, and they're like they're like right at the top. It's them and the Jets for very different reasons, right? So they they just haven't played very many close games. So. As bad as this matchup is for like Lamar, Brown, Gus, Dobbins, all that, the fact that they're probably going to have to play a full game maybe maybe mitigates it a bit. Also, I love that you're mentioning the matchup and you said that this matchup would be bad for Brown. I would like to just interject here because we talked about, we saw what A.J. Brown, not Marquise Brown, which who we're talking about right now, um, we saw that, you know, with speed and yak ability this Pittsburgh secondary can be had and AJ Brown demonstrated that which we also talked about on last week's pod beautifully in week seven and I think that I know we keep saying it I know we keep saying like Marquise Brown he's in a blow-up spot this is going to be the week but I am (laughs) thinking coming out of the team's bye maybe knowing that the pat I mean like if we are mentioning that this passing game hasn't clicked then probably everyone's discussing it inside of the building in Baltimore. And so my hope is I'm not dissuaded by the Des Bryant who hasn't, by the way, been on the field since New Year's Eve of 2017 being added (laughs) to the practice field. Like I feel like this might be a moment where Marquise Brown, because this game is going to be closer, is more involved and also could rip off a very long splash play that then reinvigorates this passing game and also reinstalls the trust and excitement of fantasy managers. Yeah, I, I fully agree. He's uh, I feel like we've talked about it a couple times. Like he's had yeah. some near misses. Lamar Jackson has bemoaned it like in, in postgame conversations too. like they've been really close in connecting on some big plays that would just change the entire outlook of uh, the the way that we're looking at Brown season. Like, I feel like he's been a mild disappointment to people, but they've been so close, like a couple of, couple of huge catches hit and all of a sudden you're feeling great about Hollywood. Let's talk about the Steelers offense since we've mentioned their defense. Um, monitoring this receiving core has been pretty tricky because we know even though the matchup for Pittsburgh's offense as well is going to be particularly difficult. One of these guys is going to go off. It's just trying to figure out who. Now I'm wondering, and I'm I'm thinking about. I don't. I'm, I'm actually thinking about. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Maybe Juju or Ebron, I, because if the pass rush is so good, like, and Ben's not really chucking the ball, will he have time to do that against Baltimore? We have to kind of. There's there's a, a many more layers than we previously thought. Yeah, it's been a lot of the short range targets for Ben. He's actually um, he's at the I don't know how you want to phrase this at the top of the bottom of the league in terms of seconds <laughs> yeah. to throw like time to throw this year. It's taken him only 2.29 seconds to throw so far. So nobody's nobody's quicker than that. So he's getting the ball up very fast, generally short, like we're not seeing the, you know, seven, eight deep shots that Big Ben used to take back in the day. It's not quite that offense anymore. So that that would certainly and it's it's going to have to look like that against Baltimore, right? There's not going to be all day to throw against the Ravens defense. So that that would definitely play well. Juju, for Ebron. Yeah, I mean, but but Joe, both Juju and Ebron are a little bit banged up, which like adds another complexity. Ebron, I think, has a an elbow and Juju a knee. So now we're factoring that in as well. So it's Claypool week again. That's what you're saying. Ah, there we go. We just did it. Look at we did the work for you guys. We <laughs> we showed the work like it was math, like third grade math. We showed our work. <laughs> How about that? Then I guess that anyway. The point is, y'all need to be monitoring Ebron, Juju, and Deontay Johnson, keeping in mind the matchup as Andy and I described. The Rams. Let me just say, living in Los Angeles. I am wearing a Chicago Chicago <laughs> hat, just plain Chicago hat right now. But living in Los Angeles as a sports fan has been 
pretty fun. Um, also, the fact that the Lakers and the Dodgers have won their respective championships uh, in a year where there can't be a parade and thus no traffic is not oh, yeah. bad. Yeah, good not, call. Not, good not call there. Particularly bad, right? Um, but the Rams did unfortunately really best the Bears uh, in Week Seven. Now they're going to travel to Miami. It's another exciting matchup, not just because the Rams seem to be figuring things out in a new and different way, but because we will have the debut of Tua Tungavailoa. A lot of people are excited about this. The Troy, who you spoke to in our fantasy community segment on FFL last week, Dolphins fan mentioned who uh, Tua is going to lean on. I'm just not 100% sure that this is the team that a rookie quarterback, regardless, especially one, by the way, coming off of a devastating hip injury and like a broken nose uh, and some ankle issues, uh, wants to be baptized by. Yeah, it's a it's a brutal spot to to break in his NFL career. And it's I don't think it was the plan, right? Because Miami had their bye week moved. Um, And I think the original plan Mm. was later in the season, they come off a later bye, and they would have been facing, I think, the Jets off of their bye, which perfect perfect way to roll out a young quarterback coming off an injury who's been tutored basically by uh, by Ryan Fitzpatrick for three quarters of the season. That would have been a great plan. They don't get to have that plan. Instead, they introduce him against the Rams, who allow only like six and a half yards per pass attempt. And they're like second or third in the league in sacks. And nobody can stop Aaron Donald. And it's just going to be like, I feel like if Tua can just tread water, if he gives us a handful of moments that we can that we can hang on to, like yeah. I'm going to feel pretty good about him moving forward. I wouldn't be excited to play. I mean, nobody's going to be excited to play Parker, Gasecki, or or Williams. Uh, Preston Williams has actually either scored a touchdown or had a two point conversion in like his last five games. So he had been totally bankable, um, even on low volume with Fitzpatrick. But I don't know what any of this looks like with Tua, but I but I wouldn't want to be messed up with this offense. Um, I wouldn't want to be, I should say, mixed up with this offense uh, against the Rams. So this is just a, it's just a bad spot. I would say that Miles Gaskin, you know, you don't like the running back in a situation like this, but I think, and, and again, noting the matchup, but I do think that from a early on game script perspective, Gaskin is going to see a good amount of volume. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not trusting his YPC, but I do think that at least at the top of the game, there's going to be an effort, especially with Tua under center, to hand off to him a decent amount. And I don't hate Miles Gaskin in tie-breaking RB three situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of been the whole season for Miles Gaskin, right? Like it's it's volume and the yardage is fine. And he very rarely visits the end zone. That'll that'll probably change as they've completely de-emphasized Jordan Howard, and maybe they trade him uh, at some point here soon. But that'll mm-hmm. that'll probably change. But volume has definitely been there for Gaskin, so I would agree with that. If you're if you're just looking at him as a flex, fine. Rams backfield volume has not been Cam Akers' friend recently. Uh, in Week Seven, only played three offensive snaps, got one carry, but it was wiped away because of a penalty. So. For fantasy purposes, that does help winnow things down a little bit more. Daryl Henderson obviously remains uh, the RB1 in this situation in terms of volume. But I have to say, like, I test-wise, watching the Bears game, which I watched closely, side note, like, there was a, <laughs> there were plenty of ugh moments um, <laughs> from the Bears offense. But I did utter an expletive under my breath at one point, and uh, it was a, a Foles interception. And um, my husband had said, oh, look who still cares. Look, look, I thought, I thought you were <laughs> over them. It was a very, very telling moment for me. Um, but I will say, like, Malcolm Brown he managed a couple of chunk plays, which I was impressed by, like through the middle, because that's what he does, right? There was nothing fancy about them, but he did have the power, especially given the the Bears defense to rip off a couple of chunk gains, which I was impressed by. Um, He also obviously had the touchdown, but less than the box score to me was when they chose to move, use him outside of the red area of the field and how effective he was. Although it's worth noting that the Bears defense is obviously gassed come the fourth quarter because the damn offense can't keep them rested. <laughs> that is uh, that is a very fair point. Uh, it was a disastrous game from a Bears fan perspective, but they like they just like Brown. Like Brown is gonna see the field when Brown is healthy. He's gonna see the field. It's and I, I don't I, like I don't see the massive gap in talent between Malcolm Brown and and Daryl Henderson. I know there's been a lot of excitement for Henderson 
for a couple of years. I like I don't see that as two entirely different tiers of players. Like I I think Brown is fine. I think they're like I think they're right to like him. They clearly like him when they get inside the 10. So I just don't think he goes away. Like as a as a 10 to 12 touch guy, I don't think he goes away at all. Acres is uh Acres is a roster problem. Like he's I understand the excitement for him, but like we're in the serious bye weeks now. Like there's four teams on bye and there's a zillion injuries and I think I'd feel okay about cutting Cam Akers. Like you can't, you can't wait forever. We're at the midway point, and he's he's barely seeing the field. I agree with that. Uh, the, the Jets are traveling to Kansas City. Oh man! And you thought you were having a bad day. Um, <laughs> just a little fun fact here: the Chiefs are nineteen and a half favorites in man. this matchup. That's twenty damn points. Like I, it's that I love it. I love it. I hate it. It's emblematic of of so much um but let's talk about the jets because there are still some well it's our job is why we have to talk <laughs> about them very quickly so we've got jameson crowder didn't play last week he's questionable this week uh brashad perryman was concussed if there is a lone bright spot i think there might be two here they're both rookies first on the receiving side denzel mims like he made an immediate impact on, you know, first time off IR, he had a hamstring, um, but he was basically the only gift that was given to Sam Darnold over last year's draft, despite overtures and promises of otherwise. And so caught four of seven for 42 yards. I'm not starting him, not, not rolling him out, although there could be some garbage time here for him to do some damage. But this is not a place where I feel confident in playing him unless I absolutely have to in like a 20-team or 14-team league with some weird flex rules. LaMichael Pirine also, you know, Gase didn't have control of the play-calling duties, and all of a sudden LaMichael Pirine saw his highest number of st- snaps, <laughs> touches, everything goes up. He and Gore did handle the workload in terms of rushing attempts absolutely evenly, but it was P. Ryan who saw more targets through the air. I believe he saw three targets, Gore not even targeted at all through the air. So yeah, I, I think like, you know, KC has been leaky at times versus the run. However, this is not, you just don't want a running back here because I don't think game script is ever going to lean in their favor. But I also think that because he's getting the receiving work and there are no other receivers healthy, this isn't the worst spot to use him. Yeah, I, I think he's the guy that they have on the field probably in the second half of this game. And you're, you're right. He played 70 plus percent of the snaps last week, over 50 percent the week before. He's coming off 13 touches. And again, rough week in terms of injuries and buys like you're probably somebody's probably starting Pirine in like a deep 12 team league or certainly in a 14 team league. Like Pirine definitely belongs not only on somebody's roster, but probably in a in a flex spot, because one of the things that we talk about repeatedly with Kansas City is they're like, whatever you want to do on the ground against us is fine because you are definitely not going to beat us running the football. It's not going to happen. And so there are some cheap yards there um, if they want to run him half dozen times in the second half of this game those are all going to go for five plus yards and those are going to be empty yards they're not going to help the jets but um that like that that all counts in our game right but who cares about the jets backfield we got to talk about the chiefs backfield because this is the (laughs) levy on bell revenge game baby (laughs) i mean i talk about bearing the lead on that one um i'm interested so matt and i discussed what we saw from week seven on the Monday pod, but I'm interested to hear, cause I don't know your opinion yet, how involved you believe Bell might be. Well, um, it was more or less a rotation of series for those two, which is not what I had expected going in. Like I thought, I thought Bell would have like a little cameo role. I didn't, I didn't think he would get entire series to himself. Um, mm. and he, and he did. So didn't end up being a ton of snaps, right? Weird game. They get the defensive touchdown, they get the special teams touchdown. And then it's, then things are, things are over basically only ended up 27 snaps for Edwards, Hilaire and, and 17 for Bell, but he was immediately part of the mix. Uh, and, and just like, if that's what it's going to look like, if if CEH is going to get like the first series and then we go to Bell and then we go back to CEH, like that's, I mean, that, that's an even bigger role for Bell than I than I had expected. And he, I, I don't know that we can take a ton away from it in terms of how Bell looked relative to how he's looked uh, as a member of the Jets. 
because some sometimes things are so easy with the Chiefs. You're not, you know, you're, you're never going to see eight in the box. You're never like they're not worried primarily about the running back in a whole lot of situations. And there are just some cheap and easy yards. Like, remember, LaShawn McCoy showed up with the Chiefs last year and he broke off a couple of 15 yard runs where nobody touched him for like the first 10 yards, you know, that he that he carried the ball. He, like you just get some of that with the Chiefs. So I'm not. I'm not I'm not quite ready to say that Le'Veon Bell looks like vintage Le'Veon Bell or anything like they're even at any point in the Pittsburgh era Le'Veon Bell. But he's clearly going to get more work than I had initially expected. 17 snaps in his debut seemed like a lot to me. And he's there's going to there's going to be plenty of garbage time in this game in all likelihood. And a lot of that is obviously going to go to him. Like, that's what I want to hear is that in this matchup in particular, the favorite the favorite has to be given to Bell, right? Like, it would not surprise me. And I don't know this. This is pure conjecture. But like, people who want to complain about that, like our job is conjecture. That's kind of what we do for a living. (laughs) But I it would not surprise me if when signing with the Chiefs, Bell basically said like, yo, I don't care how little or much I play, but come week eight, (laughs) I'm gonna ram it down their throats. Like, that's all you need. It could even be in the contract in the contractual language, like, just give me this one. And we fine. You're you're right to bring it up. There's no way it didn't come up when he was when he was negotiating with teams, right? And it's no accident that he was talking to teams that had the Jets coming up on the schedule. Like I mm-hmm. just don't, I do not think that was accidental at all. Um, I'm sure he wants to lay into him, um, and I'm sure he'll get that again. He's he's basically the the one A or number two running back on a team that is favored by almost three freaking touchdowns. Like he's going to get the ball plenty in the second half. Minnesota at Green Bay. Delvin Cook was limited in practice on Thursday, but he's expected to play on Sunday and, quote, probably not going to be on a pitch count. Um, But he's dealing with this groin injury. And, like, I don't know about you, Andy, but, like, every time I hear about a running back with a groin injury, I can't not think about Arian Foster. And I can't also not think about Alexander Madison, despite him not smashing in a totally smashable spot a couple of weeks ago ahead of uh, what was that week six. Um, I also just, I don't believe that Dalvin cook is going to see, you know, his customary 20 touches in this one. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty reasonable worry. And, And this is one of those, this is one of those spots where like, not only do we have to do a lot of conjecture, we have to do a lot of conjecture about things that we are not trained in, right? I'm not, I'm not a groin mm-hmm. expert. I'm not a groinologist. I'm not a medical expert. Are you? You're not. <laughs> no, you would think after years <laughs> of covering fantasy sports that I would, uh, that I would know my way around a groin a little bit better than I do. Uh, <laughs> but no, oh it turns, it turns out I do, I do not. I can't, like, I can't tell you what the likelihood here is, uh, that, uh, that Dalvin Cook gets sidelined mid game. Um, I do think it's reasonable to think that we're going to see Alexander Madison, like every third series, something like that. That wouldn't surprise me at all. A right, little, yeah. yeah, but it's also, you know, it's the Packers. The Minnesota has no margin for error. I mean, they're probably done. Realistically, they're done for the season, but they're, you know, they, they have very little margin for error here. So I'm, I'm sure they would they would go as, as far with uh, Delvin as they possibly can. But um, but uh, obviously he was hurting when the when the injury initially hit. I was like, oh, shoot, this could be the full season because mm-hmm. his immediate reaction to it was was clear. It was obvious. He didn't just like sort of limp around. He just went down and rolled around a little bit. And, and it seemed really bad. Um, so I, I guess I am concerned that it was, you know, more than just a, a minor groin tweaking, if you will, that it was a little bit more significant than that. Good if he plays. I'm not going to have my usual confidence in him. A couple of things. Andy Barons, we need a T-shirt from you. Everyone who watches <laughs> FFL knows that Andy wears these custom T-shirts, and I need one that says, uh, Andy Barons, I know my way around a groin. <laughs> <laughs> that has to happen. Number two, um, the matchup here against Green Bay. <laughs> obviously, there's a couple. Now I'm all done. So the matchup, Green Bay's run defense, Mike Pettin defense, like not great. They can be run on. But also you make an excellent point, aside from knowing your way around a groin, about <laughs> Minnesota reconciling their 2020 campaign. And it seems that the front office also knows they're done via like the unloading of Yannick Ngakwe, right? Yeah. They just added ahead of the season. So there seems to be some acknowledgement about hashtag facts inside the building. Yeah, they're gonna get they're gonna get lit up. Um they've had a terrible pass defense all year. They're giving up like almost two hundred and ninety passing yards per week, eight and a half yards per attempt. 
Aaron Rodgers killed him before he's going to kill him again. Like, <laughs> like that, that's a, I, I, the Packers can probably pick their number here. I don't know if it's going to finish around 35, 38, something like that, but this is a, this is clearly a blow up spot for Rodgers. Make a great point about the pass defense too. I mean, I think that maybe Minnesota might call Tank Williams to start playing DB again. <laughs> uh, I think Tank Mike might Hughes... pass on that opportunity, honestly. <laughs> At this point, at this point, yeah, it's too cold. Although that dome, I'm imagining, has, like, heaters. Um, <laughs> but Mike Hughes, he's got a neck injury. Holton Hill, a foot injury. Chris Boy- Boyd is dealing with a hamstring and a back issue. So, like, there's not going to be a, <laughs> a secondary available here, which, to your point, is part of the reason why Devontae Adams and company and Aaron Rodgers, obviously, should have a field day here in this is exciting too because there are like some other secondary slash ancillary options in the passing game for Aaron Rodgers, and so if he starts feeling himself, which we imagine he will, for all the reasons we just said, he could start spreading the ball around. And the Lazard King did practice twice yeah. this week. He's not yet been activated from IR, but you know maybe he plays this Sunday, and maybe he doesn't fit, play like a full complement of snaps. But again. We're expecting a carnival from the from the Green Bay side of things. And Robert Tanyan of week four fame, he practiced in full. So he's been gutting through that ankle injury. He's, that seems to be close to 100%. So, like, we know Devontae Adams is going to get his. Um, we know that Aaron Rodgers is going to get his. And now are we willing to, mm, to forecast perhaps any of these other players, receivers, pass catchers getting involved. Yeah, I think Tanyan is a is a really good bet. As long as he's playing, I think he's a strong candidate to score. Um, it's a really good point about Lazard. And without even without respect to this week, even if he doesn't play this week, he's a, he's sort of a great end of week ad right now, especially if you can get him while you can still slot him into an IR spot. He's just a great end of week pickup because he's obviously going to be relevant in the second half of the season. It's great that he's actually able to practice again. So even if he's not playing here, he's a guy you'll want. And he was, and he was mass dropped obviously after the injury. So I don't know what his availability is right now, but I actually think this is one of those situations where like in the more competitive, the league, the more likely he's actually available. Right. So I I think he's on a lot of waiver wires right now. Lazard is rostered just in 33% of Yahoo league. So figure about 70% available. Um, You also mentioned, I didn't talk about Aaron Jones, that's because yeah. he didn't practice, and so we're not sure whether or not. I mean, you you, you came close to to starting in week seven, so I think the assumption was that he would be on the field this Sunday in week eight. But he hasn't practiced, and so definitely keep an eye on the Friday and Saturday practice reports to see if he takes the field. Because if he doesn't, doesn't then obviously Jamal Williams is in play once again, and Williams managed brilliantly, I would say, or or was enough to uh, suffice yeah. for. Aaron Jones's absence last week. Yeah, um, Williams was really good. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is a pretty special player, but uh, but Williams was plenty good. And in this matchup, um, he would be just fine. This is one of those weeks where, like, you can't even bother looking at a DFS lineup until, like, Saturday or Sunday because there's so many of these situations like Williams and Jones and Bernard and Mixon and Scott and Sanders where we just need clarity on it and we're not going to maybe get it until very late in the week. So the Colts are traveling to Detroit. Not a whole lot to discuss here. Mo Ali Cox is back, but Trey Burton had been the guy. Do we care about Mo Ali Cox anymore? No, he just simply doesn't play enough. Like it's nice that he gets looks uh, in the in the red zone, but he's he's just not playing enough snaps. And they they like Burton. Like Burton has been, you know, Burton was kind of a sneaky good ad going into the bye week. If you could just stash him for a week, because coming off a two touchdown game, he, he's pretty clearly the primary tight end when healthy. Um, on the Detroit side of things, we saw DeAndre Swift earning himself a larger role, but obviously the Colts defense, you know, whether they're, you know, whether it's just Matt Eberflus doing a lot with a little or not, they are consistently working and, and playing well. So are we worried about DeAndre Swift at all, given the matchup and the nonstop presence, even if we don't want it to be there of uh, Adrian Peterson? Yeah, um, we have to worry about him because the Colts defense has been like generally the hallmark of a really good defense is that they're not, you know, they're not just like dominant against the run and they're okay against the pass or something like that. They're really good against both. And India has been really good against both. They are number three against the run. They only give up three and a half yards per carry. They're number two in terms of pass defense right now. And they only give up 6.6 yards per pass attempt. Like 
I mean, we're at the halfway point of the season. You're pretty legit. So, yes, I'm I'm a little bit more worried than I normally would be with DeAndre Swift. I don't I think it's going to be really rough sledding for Peterson. So I, I think Swift is probably the more playable of the two. I think he's obviously the one who's going to be more involved as a receiver. I don't think there's a ton of yards here for either player. The description you just gave of a good defense does not apply to any of the defenses in the next matchup. The Raiders at the Browns. Um, I am actually, like for fantasy purposes, excited about this matchup because they do have two bad defenses. So there should be that ping pong carnival energy flying. And I like Derek Carr, frankly. He's leading my deep sleepers piece at the quarterback position. He's been, he has certainly like exceeded beyond expectations. He's averaging 14 fantasy points per week. I don't think anyone saw it. And yes, it's because he's being buoyed by his numerous um, cast members and their efficiency, but I don't care. I'll take it any way I can get it. So I like, I like Derek Carr is like a top 15 pick this week. Josh he's Jacobs, also, by the way, however, he's also, though. he's also doing, he's doing this um, with a cast of characters that's entirely new to him, ex- except for Darren Waller too. So like he gets a lot of credit for that. Obviously a weird off season, didn't I mean this guy this guy didn't know you know Henry Ruggs didn't know Nelson Aguilar right like the guys he's doing this with are entirely new to the team that is a very very good point and his completion percentage is what is particularly interesting but again I think he's got some effective hands there Josh Jacobs was one of them as he has been more present in 2020 than in 2019 in the passing game but he's now presenting with a knee injury he was limited in practice on Wednesday and Thursday I'm a little bit worried about him. Um, we've seen him gut through a shoulder injury last year, but it would be Devontae Booker and Jalen Richard who would pick up the slack in this one. I think Richard to me gets a bump if Jacobs is is really hurt. Yeah, J- Jacobs has been limping for a lot of this season, and yeah. I, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's one issue. Maybe it's multiple issues. It feels like it's probably been multiple issues at different times, but he limps around a lot. Um, he he guts through a lot of things. Um, I I would be surprised if he didn't play based on you know the the season he's had to date and all the times that you know he goes to the sideline and is obviously in pain and then you're worried you're like oh shoot because i've you know i've got jacobs in a lot of places and he always trots back onto the field like he's just having one of those years it's it's super admirable i would i would expect him to play he's been a high volume guy not nearly as efficient as he was last year but a lot of this gets smoothed over because he's already up to 18 receptions like this guy's going to finish with 40 receptions this year which is exciting that's not a huge number but obviously it was barely any part of his game at all last year and we're all expecting Waller to smash in this spot, especially yeah. given where Cleveland gives up the, the most yardage. On the Cleveland side of things, though, there's a lot to dissect. We won't dissect it all, though, because we expect that our listeners know a bunch of it because they listen to previous episodes of the Fantasy Football Forecast. Um, Richard Higgins, like I have asked you about Donovan Peoples-Jones, and he's a player I'm excited about, but I don't think we can discount Hollywood Higgins, who unfortunately has been discounted by everyone in terms of a coaching staff or front office exec, except for his quarterback. Because, I mean, <laughs> I I remember back in 2018 when there were these two backups and Rashad Higgins was, like, trying to, like, make a name for himself, trying to get some looks, and Baker was the backup, and they had a lot of practice reps. And yet every time the two are on the field, they have, an, like, un, a decidedly easy connection. They just like each other like this is why in entertainment people have giant studios have chemistry reads because somebody's pheromones sometimes just like another person's pheromones and i got a feeling that obj's pheromones ain't so tasty to baker (laughs) that's um i did not expect this analysis to take a pheromone turn that's uh that's interesting I like I, I thought Higgins was great um, last week. Yeah. He made he made one of the highlight catches of the week in a really important moment on a late drive. Right. Like he was really good. Six of six uh, in terms of catches and targets. Baker was, it was such a weird game for Baker. Right. Because he you, you were like after after he started zero for five, you were like, well, is this is this it? Is this the end of the Mayfield era? And then he literally didn't have another incompletion the rest of the game other than a, a spike. Right. Like it was a great crazy game for him. That was terrific to see. We've talked about it before, like obviously Cleveland's plan under Stefanski is not Baker Mayfield throws the ball 45 times or whatever. Like no, when things are no. on schedule for the Browns, it's not, you know, like OBJ, even though he's having a pretty good year fantasy wise, was seeing about seven targets a week, which which doesn't generally make a receiver anything more than a wide receiver three. He was doing a little bit better than that because he had the blow up game. But, you know, so you, you can't you can only get so excited about Higgins, but I think there's a real chance that 
he produces at a level that's like 90 to 95 percent of what we were going to get out of Beckham. And in this matchup, I mean, there's no pass yeah. rush here. Like there, there's no reason that Baker should be shook. So that should instill more confidence. I think this is a very interesting matchup to like, quote, get right or gain his confidence back. And when you're talking about, you know, not wanting your quarterback to throw when he does, you need him to be as efficient as possible. And Hollywood Higgins, like, isn't he just doesn't he's not exciting on paper, right? Like he doesn't have these crazy measurables. He's just a really good route runner. without incredible size or athletic profile and really reliable hands. And those things make, I mean, out of last week, he was PFF's third highest graded wide receiver for the week behind Devontae Adams and Tyler Lockett. Like we have to (laughs) respect him and trust him here. And by the way, the two weeks prior, the two games prior to week seven, he scored in both of those matchups. So there is something here. It is brewing. And I think, you know, this actually like OBJ, Getting hurt is a silver lining for Baker Mayfield, but let's let's move forward to the Titans at Bengals matchup. No Joe Mixon at practice this week. He is unlikely to play on Sunday, so that means that Gio Bernard now is you know in that RB two low end RB two conversation once again. Would you agree with that? Oh, fully agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay. And and given the workload that he can expect, I would say he's he's closer to like low end RB one, high end RB two. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think I have him as RB13. You're right. I just checked my notes. So I misspoke. Andy is correct. Uh, Gio Bernard is in the low end RB1 conversation. Um, defensively, two quick notes. Carlos Dunlap, I just we just have to say it. He's now in Seattle, and I'm sure he yeah. is thrilled about that. That's something he is satisfied with in 2020 <laughs> this week. And on Tennessee side of things, um, another a defensive and uh Jadavian Clowney uh, missed practice on Wednesday and Thursday with a knee issue. He's always hurt, right? But like I think it's more exciting when the opposing pass rushes are maybe missing something for the rest of the offensive pieces here. We can maybe have more production. Yeah, I I think this is actually a, a sneaky good opportunity for for Joe Burrow. Like we you automatically think that the really good teams all have really good defenses, but Tennessee's hasn't been anything special. They've been bad against the run. They give up almost five yards per carry, um, and they haven't been anything special against the the pass either. So I think there's an, another nice opportunity for Burrow here, who just it's like one totally useful fantasy performance after another. He hasn't. He hasn't really popped with like the QB one overall sort of week, but but he's been super reliable. It's it's sloppy sometimes, but he's been fantasy wise. He's been great. We've got Cam Newton and Josh Allen facing off in the next matchup. Andy's shaking his head already. He's just like shaking his head. (laughs) What to do with this? I guess we'll start with the injury news. So Julian Edelman, we've been talking about how he's not healthy. Well, he finally got that knee procedure that he obviously needed. He's going to miss a period of time. When you're looking at the rest of this receiving core, and we have discussed somebody here needs to step up. There's somebody has to get his. In terms of snaps, Demir Bird has played the highest number of snaps with 360. Um, Nikhil Harry and uh, Julian Edelman behind him. But Nikhil Harry's got like a, he was concussed. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to clear protocols in time for Sunday's game. And I also don't know if I'm confident enough, like it, it's sneaky. It's, it's tempting because when we look at Buffalo, like Josh Norman's dealing with a hamstring injury, Tredavious White suited up, but isn't a hundred percent. So like there is an opportunity for one of the new England pass catchers to do something here. I just don't know if I'm confident enough to like throw a dart at it. Yeah, the only place where I have thrown a dart is Super League. It's a 20 team league. Like that's legitimately where I think you start thinking about starting Patriots receivers. Cam is Cam has looked so bad purely yeah. as a passer. He's just looked really rough the last couple of weeks. And maybe that's COVID. Maybe that's his own health. I don't know. He only has one game all season with over 200 passing yards, and the last two again have been have been particularly rough. Yes, there's a rushing floor there, but if that you know, when we talk about quarterbacks having rushing floors, it assumes that almost any NFL quarterback can at least pass for like 200 yards and a touchdown. And that hasn't been there from Cam lately. So that it's a huge problem. So I don't think he's playable. I was just on a Buffalo radio station today and they were talking about how they were. This is why I was shaking my head. They were they were talking about the, the forecast for like 40 mile an hour wind gusts during this game. So we have an already 
super sketchy quarterback in, in a game where the the deep ball is, two is of them. Per, yes we do in a game where like the deep ball is probably not going to be available to them the, ti- the the timing of short stuff is going to get is going to get messed up so i'm just i'm just not that eager for this thing there's you know julian edelman i think becomes a drop he was a drop before but it was a hard drop to make because he's such a strong brand name right but he'd gone four weeks without going over 35 receiving yards and now he's going to miss a couple following a knee procedure. Like he's just a straight up drop now there. So we might, I don't know, maybe Jacoby Myers. That's what I was going to say. That was the one guy that I've added literally in a 20 team league. Um, and I'm not excited about it. Damian Harris, if we're factoring in the meteorolo- meteorological, meteorological <laughs> <laughs> um, consequences, I do think could be interesting in this one if there is a lot of running. Um, And let's be honest, like the Bills defense has not looked solid. Their run defense has been, you know, off for the past couple of weeks. So I, I could I could mess with Damian Harris here in a flex type situation. Again, noting the running back landscape that you mentioned earlier from Buffalo's side of things. John Brown is back at practice and expected to return. But how do you how do you feel about John Brown? Are you almost at this point prioritizing Cole Beasley ahead of him? Well, Beasley's been super bankable. It's been it's been a yeah. ton of targets. He's like he's like five, six catches a week in the pickups column. I was writing about how, like he's on pace for almost eleven hundred yards on the season. Like he's on a he's on he's having the season that you would have expected from prime Julian Edelman. You know, like that that's the year he's having. It's going to be about it's going to be over a thousand yards. He's probably going to it's not going to be a huge touchdown total four or five, but he's been very bankable week to week. If your thing is all I want out of my wide receiver three in a PPR format is like 11 points. But Beasley is that all of the time. It's a guaranteed six catches. Um, he's coming off 12 targets like Allen really likes him. And Allen has looked his way in the end zone a couple times, too. So that's that's been good to see. I, again, if there's like if there's crazy weather conditions in this one, if we have 40 mile an hour winds, it's probably not going to be a John Brown week. It's going to be more of a, a short range Cole Beasley week, um, maybe a little bit. Of Zach, Zach Moss looked really good last week. Uh and Singletary again did not. So I think did there not. might be a, a a little leapfrogging that's going on there. We wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. It's the Sunday afternoon game time. Let's start with the Chargers <laughs> at... Denver. Um, we cannot ever go into the second half of our show without a COVID news break. Oh, how about I it? I feel like this happened last week, too. You know, we've got a guard, Ryan Groy, testing positive for COVID. I think he's only, like, played four games, but that's the deal. Um, Anthony Lynn sent everybody home at his own discretion. The coach just said, uh, you know, the coach obviously also had COVID, as we all learned on Hard Knocks previously. Uh, so he sent everybody home and asked them to work remotely slash virtually. So keep an eye on this game if it actually happens or is played on some days on Sunday because, yikes, both teams have already had their bye here. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the the first instance that we would have to deal with that if there's any possibility of this game getting pushed off again, like there's there's no place to move it. <laughs> like there's there's nowhere to go. So hopefully and we get this speaking in. Speaking of nowhere to go, I don't want to ask you this question, but our producer is asking me to ask you this question. Um so Josh Kelly, I had 12 rushing attempts and Justin Jackson who was your <laughs> your bold prediction and it turned out to be really bold because i mean it was so bold that it was not right i had only five rushing attempts i'm glad no one's holding me accountable for my my bold predictions by the way well i feel like i've owned all of my bold (laughs) predictions because they've been so like some of them at least have had really good process behind them too like they make a lot of hundred percent of them gonna have another one this week's that make that this week that makes a lot of sense and i can't wait to see how it face plants like they all have they they just all have well jackson was pretty involved as a receiver (laughs) like i don't i don't i don't see some huge like i don't think kelly is a better start than jackson going forward while eckler's out um Jackson was still super involved as a receiver. Neither one of them are spectacular players. Neither one of them can do the things that we would expect from a healthy Austin Eckler. And I actually like I'm going to have Jackson a little bit ahead in my ranks this week. I don't like either one of them because 
Denver's been a pretty good run defense. Um, they have been pretty stingy in terms of opposing running back production. So not a great spot for either player. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's going to be games where Kelly has more carries. Um, I think that Jackson overall is going to have a little bit his usage while Eckler is out is going to be a little bit better in sort of half PPR and PPR formats. I think he's going to be more involved as a receiver. That's about as far as I'll go as an endorsement of Justin Jackson. That's fair enough. I will say, though, that the backfield here doesn't hold the same weight. It doesn't matter as much when you have a quarterback that can get you out of so out of sticky situations. Yeah. You don't need to lean on the run. You don't need to lean on the defense, which is getting healthier because you've got Justin Herbert and his wild arm fling it like willingly spreading the ball around and finding solutions to problems that this franchise has faced for a decade. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen actually Plus. some suggestions this week that, uh, you know, it like on paper, this is a somewhat difficult matchup. Denver only gives up, uh, I think it's 6.9 yards per pass attempt on the season. But we've already seen Herbert um, crush in difficult matchups, right? He had a good game against Tampa, had a really good game against Kansas City, had a good game against Carolina, which is an excellent pass defense this year like he's already beaten some tough matchups so i'm not going to worry about him even even a tiny bit against uh against denver i think he's rest of season unless it's a unless it's an incredibly daunting matchup he's probably going to be top 12 for me this week he's he's top 10 under p I talked to you about your bold prediction that didn't work out well mine was tim patrick and it didn't work out for me either uh he ended up underwhelming but also partially because he hurt his hamstring in the game and he didn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday so I don't really like his availability for this Sunday and we should also mention while we're mentioning injury notes that Philip Lindsay who was concussed returned to practice and has cleared the protocol so he is and but before he before he went down by the way was looking really really exciting and electric here and we've seen you know typically the Chargers run defense has been pretty staunch but James Robinson went off against them yeah so I think there's some opportunity especially given you know the, the not necessarily the same solution in Denver that the Chargers have found a lot of opportunity for Gordon and Lindsay to play off of one another. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good week for Gordon. Obviously, the the other thing I was yeah. going to say about Denver's receiving core is they have they have guys that aren't even on the injury report that are clearly hurt. Like Noah Fant limped off the field constantly last week. Like he's hurt. I, like he may or may not be on the injury report, but he's he's clearly in pain. Um, looked in pain on the sideline. Like. I, it's it's Jerry Judy might be their healthiest player right now. It's it's not a deep or or particularly overwhelming receiving core. Tough, tough uh, situation for Locke. Let's talk about the game that has the highest over under for the week. It's the 49ers at the Seahawks. 54 is the projected point total. Woo, there's a there's a lot here, but it's a lot of fun stuff. Jeff Wilson, let's talk about the backfield because I'm getting a ton of backfield questions from the 49ers. I'm sure you are as well. So Jeff Wilson, guttingly, sadly, on IR. Tevin Coleman cleared to return, so he could possibly see the field this week. Jarek McKinnon rested last week, just took himself a little like I wish Kyle Shanahan had maybe like told us that was going to happen. But no, we at least were prepared. We didn't think it was necessarily going to be Jeff Wilson, but we thought that uh, Jamichael Hasty would see a good amount of the touches. Now I feel like the same analysis, assuming Coleman is rested, limited, put on some sort of load management, and even sees the field on Sunday, like Hasty, the same analysis I think is going to carry over into this week. It should be Hasty. Like Hasty's looked good every time he's been on the field. He's coming off again. I mean, it was it was not difficult for for a San Francisco back to look good last week. Um, Wilson was crushing injured himself on his third touchdown, right, um, on the on the tackle. But Hasty's passed the eye test every time we've seen him. So if he's going to get 15 touches, I think he's a really strong play. This is both of these backfields, really. It's, they're going to be decisions that you have to take almost right up until until Sunday, right, because um, we have an injury mess in, in both places. Coleman's return would would worry me a lot because Wilson was hurt midweek last week. Wilson barely made it into that game, right? He had, I think it was a calf injury. He'd been on the, he'd been on the injury report and great. He's active. And then he takes every touch. So that's, I feel like that's in play for Coleman. It's a little bit less likely because he's coming off a more serious, uh, more serious situation in an IR stint, but I'm not going to rule out the possibility that, uh, that Tevin Coleman, uh, if healthy gets uh, a majority of the touches. 
the shenanigan, the shenanigan certainly need to be dealt with. <laughs> but I just feel like Coleman is has consistently through Kyle Shanahan's career been treated with kid gloves in a way yeah. that Jeff Wilson, who's a different kind of a different kind of athlete, has not been. Should I, I should not mention be. that I'm starting Hasty in three places. I mean, and okay. I haven't given myself any like reasonable backup either so i i need it to be hasty um i'm just a little bit a little bit skeptical because it's shanahan oh no last week you needed it to be justin jackson so, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the receivers in san francisco because debo samuel who i adore is out but it looks like brandon Ayuk, who by the way had a really awesome game and a tough matchup all of those dizzying plays against new england will be the guy similar skill sets catch and run type players excellent um i I have Ayuk forecasted pretty aggressively for 897.1. How crazy am I? Oh, that's not crazy at all. I mean, he's he's all right. coming, he's coming off a spectacular game. It is a Seattle's defense is somewhat difficult to talk about because I don't I don't think they're as bad as the numbers against them suggest. But you know, because they get in these crazy shootouts, right? Every Seattle game is is ludicrous. Um, none of them follow any script that you've ever seen before, and they all end up like 38 to 34. And so they're giving up like 370 passing yards per week on a per play basis. It's not actually that bad, but we can't get around the fact that they're giving up 370 passing yards per week. Every team that faces them, the quarterback goes off for 300 plus yards like it happens all the time. So I'm expecting a decent week from Garoppolo, even if it doesn't look great all the time, like that's kind of his hallmark. Yeah. Um, and Ayuk has to be a, a key part of that. Uh, he's without Samuel out there. He and Kittle are by far their most explosive receiving options um, coming off a great game. And you can use them exactly as they were using Debo. You know, they can give him those kind of ju- like technically it's a reception, but it really looks like a handoff. You can give him a bunch of those. You can give him a couple of, you know, a couple of straight up carries. I mean, he's made some of my favorite moments from this season are actually Brandon Ayuk plays, right? Like his highlights are of the absolute highest quality. So pretty excited about this one. Not going to surprise me at all if he gives us 120 or so receiving yards. Seattle's backfield, you mentioned, also has some injuries. Uh, Chris Carson, Looking like a game time decision, I'd be surprised if he plays mild foot sprain. This is, by the way, the second time that he's been knocked out of a game. A couple of weeks ago, it was that dirty hit and it affected his knee. Uh, Carlos Hyde, who had missed time previously because of a shoulder injury, was dealing with some hamstring tightness. Now, Pete Carroll says it's nothing major. He's going to play. But we also know that Pete Carroll has a tendency to uh, fart sunshine and rainbows. So we don't really (laughs) know how accurate that is. Travis Homer has a knee bruise. Rashad Penny working his way back from that ACL still. That leaves who? DJ Dallas. I love this from a narrative perspective because the rookie is a fourth-round pick, has some positional versatility, worked as a wide receiver when he was uh, he went to Miami. And, you know, when I looked at both of them, I was like, oh, you know what this guy reminds me of? I'm going to look up his 40 score because he's not very fast, but he's, you know, patient and all that stuff. And uh, 4.58, same time as Chris Carson. They comp similarly hmm. to one another. And um, I think he would be a great speculative ad if you have the space because – one of the like if Carlos Kyde can't go, if if there is an and a hamstring is like this is a soft tissue issue, right? Like there could be an aggravation, there could be a setback, especially given his age. So I wouldn't mind speculatively adding DJ Dallas, even if it means taking up, you know, if you're dropping Julian Edelman. Maybe make room yeah. for DJ Dallas here. Yeah, I, I've got him on a couple of benches right now. I haven't, you know. I know it, you do. It's kind of the kind of the in case of emergency break glass sort of back. But this but this could fall into place for him. I agree with you on Carson. Um, although after the after the dirty hit in the Dallas game, he actually played. None of us we we were we were debating whether he was mm-hmm. going to miss one week, two weeks, three weeks. He played like so. Carson has shown that he can that he can come back on a on a short timeline. So maybe he goes. I'm I'm skeptical of it. Hyde. Every every time I see the coach's comments on Hyde, it doesn't seem like that serious an issue to me. But I feel like this is one of those situations where the the blurbs that have been written from the articles are actually a lot more dire. Right. (laughs) Like they're they're scaring us Mm -hmm. a little bit. But the but the actual underlying source material, when I read the quotes from Pete Carroll, it doesn't sound like a huge issue. They seem to be downplaying it. They really just called it tightness. I mean, I, I guess it could become a thing. As we speak, I, I would expect Carlos Hyde to play. I, I'd be surprised if he didn't. We didn't think that Michael Thomas's ankle was going to be a thing, and it turned into a thing. Yeah. And now there's a hamstring thing, too. But 
while he didn't suit up last week, he didn't practice on Wednesday, he did return on Thursday. This could be encouraging, and he could see the field at, you can see Soldier Field at Soldier Field, um, although Emmanuel Sanders uh, is also still on the COVID slash reserve list. So uh, we don't really have any full clarity here yet. Yeah, um, I like we all of us, all of us who invested any uh, draft capital at all in Michael Thomas need him to come back at, at some point. Yeah. You're going to you're going to plug him in like he's Michael Thomas. He's coming off a, a record shattering season like you're going to play him when he comes back. Nobody has the luxury to sit the overall, you know, number four, number five pick in your fantasy draft, whatever he was. It's a bad matchup, right? He's going to draw a lot of attention from a pretty good secondary. They didn't look good at all times against the Rams, but it has been a very good secondary, very good defense so far on the season. So it's a it's a tough spot for him to come back. It's it's definitely a dimension that New Orleans offense needs. It's been mostly the Alvin Kamara show and they've, you know, had some nice moments with Callaway. Um, Traquan Smith had a game, but none of these guys are anywhere near what what Michael Thomas is and, and can't bring that sort of just the sort of gravity that that Michael Thomas has all the stuff that he can open up for the rest of your playmakers like it would make a huge difference to have him on the field. It's no good for the Bears in terms of their wide receiver one either because Allen Robinson is in the concussion protocol. I remember in that Rams game, he got that helmet-to-helmet hit and was basically asked by the <laughs> the ref to like yeah. take the sideline, like get off the field and not look pleased about it. Um, Darnell Mooney has looked good at a handful of spots. Ew, 11! Yes! And he cooked Jalen Ramsey a couple of times in the Rams game. It didn't, nothing came of it because Foles was under duress. Um, couldn't, couldn't put a, a, you know, throw an accurate deep ball against a crazy Rams pass rush and all that. But, but Mooney has looked really good. Um, and I could easily imagine him stepping up and having a, not an Allen Robinson type game, but seven catches, 80 yards, good chance at a touchdown sort of game. I think he's really interesting. I love that call. There were also plenty of times where, Nick Foles was clearly trying to force the ball to Jimmy Graham. And now if you're thinking about the comments that Mm -hmm. have come out after the game, like maybe that was Matt Nagy saying like, you have to get it to Jimmy Graham in moments when Darnell Mooney was wide open deeper down the field. And we know that he is a speedster, right? He's got like four, three speed. He could have taken the top off of that defense and was wide open a number of times deep. So my hope is that maybe there would be an adjustment there for Nick Foles, who we know can like, sometimes have some degaff to his game and get Mooney involved. Yeah, it loves to chuck it deep. You know, what Foles would say, uh, even in a public moment sometimes, certainly in a private moment, is he did he just did not have any time to throw against the Rams. Like, they were on him off the snap of the football. Um, that could again be the case against the against the Saints, for sure. But, but Mooney is somebody who, you know, if you can just give the quarterback three seconds to throw... He looks he looks really good. Uh, he's had a, a much better season than the current numbers would indicate. Um, and, and I think at some point he has a he has a huge game. We talked about how the Kansas City Chiefs were 19 and a half favorites. Well, they're not 19 and a half favorites, but the Philadelphia Eagles are nine and a half favorites over the Dallas Cowboys. Ben DiNucci. That's <laughs> I got that's all I got. That's. Andy Dalton not not playing in this one. We got Ben DiNucci. Yeah. And um, there there you have it. I yeah. got a question today that said, am I crazy for wanting to start Justin Jefferson over Ezekiel Elliott? I mean, that's where we're at. Like, this is this is the level of um, alarm emoji that we're feeling. Yeah, I, I think Zeke is great enough that he can survive Andy Dalton in a bad offensive line. I, I don't know that he's so great that he can survive Ben DiNucci and a, and a bad offensive line. Like, yeah, Zeke has carried the ball only 12 times in each of the last two games. Like, games are getting away from them very quickly. He d- has plenty of juice as a receiver, and they might very well throw it to him, you know, eight, nine, ten times this week. They may have to. DiNucci was not a particularly good <laughs> college quarterback. And g- generally speaking, quarterbacks who aren't particularly good in college don't translate very well to the NFL. There are exceptions. They don't get better in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen a whole lot. Like Josh Allen might be an exception to that, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often. Um, and and so I, I don't have, you know, my outlook for Dallas this week is that nine points would be a, a lot. Like, 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 I mean, them scoring nine points. I don't mean Philadelphia covering like a nine and a half point spread. I mean, Dallas getting to nine or 10 points seems pretty ambitious to me. It kills the the value for any of these receivers. Well, then let's talk about Philadelphia because Sanders didn't practice on Wednesday. Keep 
I keep an eye on the reports for him, but he may miss this week, in which case fire up Boston Scott, because, man, it feels like based on what Andy just said, he should be in an opportunity to rack up yardage. Last week, he was on the field without uh, without Sanders in the mix for about 70% of the team snaps, carried the ball 12 times. Interesting to note, three of those were red zone carries, also drew five targets, another two red zone looks for over 90 scrimmage yards and a score. He was the uh, RB13 on the week. Or I'm, I I have him ranked in that same, similar to Gio Bernard, um, and like RB13, RB14, RB12 range this yes, week. I mean, Dallas, Dallas is not only the worst run defense in the league, but they, you know, this is multiple weeks now where late in games, they've clearly just given up. Like the, the Kenyon Drake play, they'd just given up. You know, like they're... They get to the fourth quarter in a whole bunch of games, and there's not even like you don't even have to question the effort. The effort is obviously not there. They're they're as bad a watch as any team in football, and they're giving up like 5.2 yards per carry. I mean, it's a great spot for Scott for sure. Also, Jalen Rager, rookie activated from IR this week. He could see the field. You still got Fulgham out there, and I have a bold prediction about a Philadelphia tight end that we'll get to a little bit later. Let's talk about the Monday night game. We've got, oh gosh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, at the Giants. Another COVID breaking news bit. Yeah. Uh, the entire Giants O-line was sent home on Thursday after Will Hernandez was placed on the COVID list. So as if Tampa Bay's D-line needed any more help, they just got it. I can't. I'm struggling to come up with a player that you should definitely start on the on the Giants side. Um, you can start Sterling Shepard. Like he showed a little bit of life last week. That was good. He's going to see a bunch of targets. Um, wouldn't certainly wouldn't touch Wayne Gallman uh, if he ends up being the featured back for the Giants against uh, against the best run defense in football. Uh, there's just there's just not a lot to like on the Giants side here. Nope, and there are trade rumors swirling around Evan Ingram, so that'll be interesting to see how it bears out. Uh, Tampa Bay side of things, Chris Godwin has a fractured finger now, so Mike Evans gets a boost. He can go back into that wide receiver one territory, absolutely. I mean, for, for what it's worth also, in the three games that Godwin was not available, Mike Evans had a minimum of eight receptions, and he scored in two of those games. I'm sorry, he scored in two in all three of those games and cleared 100 yards in two of them. Yeah, he's. Uh, this is maybe the last week where there's real clarity for Mike Williams, right? Like, or yeah. Mike Evans. So, like, once once Godwin comes back, once Antonio Brown is in the mix, all of a sudden we're really going to be wringing our hands about Mike Evans and like which two of these guys are going to go off in any given week. But you can feel pretty good about him here. Um, he's probably going to see a ton of Bradbury, which uh, is daunting. But he's seen a lot of Bradbury in the past, right? Bradbury came from Carolina. The last time Evans saw him, it was 96 yards. Like they're they're very familiar with each other. I would expect Brady to still pepper him with targets. It's it's also probably the last week for Scotty Miller because I got to imagine oh. that this whole like and Miller's been Miller's been good. Like he's got four games this year with 70 plus yards, but. Once Antonio Brown is in town, like all these all these Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller targets probably go away. Looking ahead to Sunday, let's make some nutty predictions. Thanks to planters. Andy, what is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games? Give me Carson Wentz as a top three fantasy quarterback. And I OK, I know I may have a somewhat spotty record with my bold predictions so far this season. That's a, I'm about to see some some uh, a positive regression here. There's no way this one can possibly miss. Um, Wentz has been, at least fantasy-wise, really good this season. In real life, it, he doesn't always pass the eye test, I'll give you that, but we've got five rushing scores. He's coming off a 300-yard game. He is facing literally the worst defense in football, an utterly lifeless defense. Um, this is actually a meaningful game for the Eagles. I see no way that, Car that Carson Wentz blows this. Absolutely no way. There's rushing upside here. He's found something with Fulgham. Um, he's found a little something with a, uh, a replacement tight end in Richard Rodgers, too. He's got a nice back out of the backfield in Boston Scott who can clearly catch the ball. Like I, I like the weapons here. I love the matchup. Carson Wentz is going to be a top three fantasy quarterback. He's actually the QB seven on the season so far. Interesting. I am going to target the same matchup, Andy. You teased it a little bit for me, so thank you. This has been a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation because it's clear that Philly wants to keep the tight end position heavily involved and that Carson Wentz thoroughly enjoys 
throwing to his tight end. In week six, when Zach Ertz hurt his ankle, Richard Rodgers' snap percentage jumped by nearly 30%. The following week, when Ertz was out, Rodgers recorded his highest snap percentage of the season. It was 85%. And he also drew eight looks just behind Travis Fulgham's 11 he led the former the former Packer led the Eagles receiving court in yards as well, catching six for 85. I actually plugged him in in a desperation move after tracking his progress the week before and how involved he was being like, oh my gosh, like this guy used to block. I guess he catches passes now and the Eagles definitely want to focus on the tight end. So it worked out. And this week you've got both Ertz and Dallas Goddard expected to miss the matchup against a disaster of a Dallas defense bodes well. So go ahead and plug Richard Rogers in as a top 10 tight end option. Woo. Those were some pretty nutty predictions right there. What can you say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to planters and we remind you at home or wherever you are to stay satisfied with planters. All right, Andy Sunday. FFL, Halloween show, Halloween hangover, the day after Halloween. That is the theme. Y'all don't want to miss it. 90 minutes before kickoff, wherever you are, we go live. And Andy has two components to his costume. I have three. We also have Halloween components, yes, but we have more podcasts than we do components to Halloween costumes. (laughs) That's how many we've got. you got to check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. Follow us on Twitter, if you don't mind, at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF, and that is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. Matt and I will be back for the Week 8 recap on Monday morning. In the meantime, we out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.